Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a technology and ethics podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Weekly Tech is brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. Each Monday, we dive into the most pressing and talked about technology stories in order to keep you up to date and equipped for the week ahead. Alongside this podcast, we also have an email newsletter version of Weekly Tech that you can subscribe to at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech, where you'll receive this weekly briefing via email each Monday morning. You can also grab the links of the stories we talk about in the show notes where you subscribe to the podcast. It pretty much goes without saying that 2020 has been one for the record books, and we're just a little over halfway through it. But one of the hidden blessings of this year has been the ability to rethink a lot of our routines and habits as so many of us have been forced into remote work and remote learning. Over the past several months, some people have picked up new hobbies while others have decided to rethink how they approach technology, news, and social media. Early on in the pandemic, I decided to intentionally try to get a lot of my news from sources outside of social media as a way to combat the constant churning of social media feeds, which is often full of unhealthy obsessions with controversy, underdeveloped stories without context, and often a good bit of fake news. This year, I subscribed to a few different print magazines and email newsletters that I try to make a habit of reading through each week. While I'm not always successful at avoiding the hamster wheel of social media, these little shifts in my news intake have really helped me throughout the pandemic so far. One of the print magazines and newsletters that I've really enjoyed over the last few months is The Economist. This historic publication has been really helpful for me to kind of get more of a global perspective on a lot of the issues that we face each day. And one of the most consequential issues that I've read a good deal about lately is the rise of what's called digital authoritarianism and also how this movement impacts how we think about a lot of different issues, including international human rights. So what is digital authoritarianism and what's its goal? Digital authoritarianism, also known as techno-authoritarianism, is a way that leaders intentionally wield the power of internet and technology to gain or solidify control over their people. This is likely a familiar concept to you because authoritarianism isn't really new, but leaders are increasingly using technology in order to strengthen their power and to gain positions of leadership. Some of the defining factors of authoritarian governments are a central figure or political party that amasses enough power and influence to strip citizens of basic rights and freedoms. But these types of governments don't often control every single aspect of a person's life, such as a totalitarian regime would. Often they seek to centralize power and political processes of a nation, as well as to limit certain individual freedoms. And this is becoming increasingly easy with the power and influence of technology. As three national security experts recently stated, authoritarians are using technology to deepen their grip internally, spread propaganda, undermine basic human rights, promote illiberal practices beyond their borders, and erode public trust in open societies. And we've seen this a lot in 2020 so far, such as the Chinese Communist Party's tightened grip on free expression in Hong Kong, the same party's persecution of minority faith groups such as the Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang, as well as a story we reported here on Weekly Tech about the Belarusian presidential election and how President Alexander Lukashenko rigged an election and shut off the internet to suppress dissonance and protest in his country. And most recently, the United States FBI Director Christopher Wray testified to a United States House Homeland Security Committee that the Russians have been using social media as well as proxies, state media, and online journals to interfere with our upcoming presidential election. 
But you may be asking yourself, why does this matter to Christians? It's because these issues ultimately are tied back to issues of human dignity and human rights. So where's this connection? In our digitally connected environment, it's a lot easier to see things that are happening all around the world. But if we're honest, we're also exposed to more information than we can ever hope to process, and this often leads to a lack of empathy for the situations that we learn about online. As author Alan Jacobs said in Breaking Bread with the Dead, navigating our daily life in the internet age is a lot like doing battlefield triage. But even with all the fake news, partisanship, and misinformation in the West, we still have an inherent trust in the information that we see reported. Why is this? It's because we ultimately have options about where we get our news and our information, and ultimately our government is accountable to us. This is simply not true for billions of people that are living around the world under authoritarian regimes. Nearly every aspect of their life is manipulated, controlled, and arranged to reinforce the power of a certain government or leaders. But digital authoritarianism is not just about not having access to internet at various times or having histories rewritten or state-run news agency. It affects real people. These fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, and grandparents have hopes, dreams, aspirations just like we do, but experience a completely different world than we do simply because of the type of government that they're living under. They're treated often as a means to an end rather than image bearers of the creator of the universe. These people have their most basic human rights of free expression and religious freedom stripped from them in order to bolster the power of a few. And alongside the rapid growth of technologies like the internet, facial recognition technology, internet filters and controls, digital surveillance and social media, all of these aspects have really fueled authoritarian dreams of those who seek to use these technologies to advance their own agendas and to ultimately dehumanize and control other people. So you may be asking yourself, what do we do about this? It's far too easy for us that live in openly democratic systems to read about these travesties and forget about them as something new comes along. But the call of Christians is not just to acknowledge these issues, but also to raise awareness of and to push for meaningful changes in any way we can. An example of this is how the ERLC has recently been pushing for a bipartisan Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act that actually just passed the United States House of Representatives last week. These types of changes and statements against the exploitation and unjust treatment of human beings help to send a signal to authoritarian regimes around the world that the world will not sit idly by as they dehumanize and subjugate their citizens to evil under the auspice of national security or unity. Because the truth is, is these regimes will stop at nothing to amass power and control unless they're confronted by the world. That's where Christians must call out these injustices wherever they're found and proclaim to the world that these people are created in God's image and are not disposable, nor are they a means to an end. If you want to read more about digital authoritarianism and how Christians should approach this issue, you can check out the full article link in the show notes or visit jasonthacker.com podcast. The American church is facing an abuse crisis. One of the best ways that we can protect our churches from sexual abuse is through effective and safe hiring and screening practices. But employment laws vary from state to state, and most churches aren't sure where to begin. That's exactly where the new Caring Well Hiring Guide comes in. This brand new resource from the ERLC and the Sexual Abuse Advisory Group of the Southern Baptist Convention provides a starting point for church leaders who are working to implement safe and effective hiring policies and screening practices to help prevent future abuse. You can download your free copy now at caringwell.com hiring.
Next up is the rundown where we focus on four different technology stories that you should be aware of as you prepare for the week ahead. First up is a story from CNN about how President Trump recently approved the TikTok deal, but a lot of questions still remain. One of the top technology stories in recent weeks has been about TikTok, and honestly, today's no different. Last week, not long after President Trump initially rejected a partnership between Oracle and ByteDance over the United States operations of TikTok, the president said that the deal had actually earned his blessing. Still, not all parties are satisfied and a lot of questions remain. As it currently stands, the United States president has given approval for the deal between ByteDance and the United States corporations of Oracle and Walmart to create a new company called TikTok Global. Under this agreement, Oracle and Walmart will have a 20% ownership in TikTok and will be in charge of the app's United States operations. Further, four of the five board members of the new company will be from the United States. This deal is significant because it gives these American organizations ownership of the data that's collected from United States citizens and reduces the risk of the Chinese Communist Party obtaining or wielding such information from their own means. However, some have pointed out that not only does 80% of TikTok's global ownership still belong to ByteDance, but the Chinese company will still own the app's code and its coveted algorithm that has made the app a raging success. This means that the Chinese Communist Party very well may still have access to American data. It's unlikely that we've seen the end of the drama surrounding the handling of TikTok's operations. And regardless of how these deals actually work out, this ordeal demonstrates the interconnectivity of technology and the risk to individuals' data being harvested for immoral purposes. This is one of the reasons that Christians should use wisdom and prudence when using technology. Next up, we're going to continue talking about TikTok, but shift gears a little bit. A story from ABC News recently reported that TikTok says that a coordinated attack was behind the suicide clip uploads from a few weeks ago. Recently here on Weekly Tech, we talked about a video clip of a man's suicide going viral on TikTok, which had originally been streamed on Facebook Live. And despite concerted efforts to remove the graphic video from the platform, it continued to resurface. The company says that an internal investigation revealed a coordinated effort behind the traumatizing post. TikTok's European Director of Public Policy describes how groups of users from the Internet's dark web have collaborated to spread the video across various social media platforms. Investigators were led to this discovery after finding that the same individuals were attempting to upload the video in some form over and over and over again. They would get around a lot of the initial takedowns by editing the clip so that the graphic material was hidden behind something innocuous. In response, the company wrote a letter addressed to the other nine major platforms suggesting that they all work together to combat the spread of this harmful material. This unfortunately casts a shadow of scrutiny on TikTok's ability to monitor and remove harmful content from its platform, all the while it's going through a lot of scrutiny over its connections with the Chinese Communist Party. It also demonstrates that no matter how rigorous its security protocols, no system is impervious to an organized effort like this one. Disturbing stories like this should remind us that harmful content does exist on the internet, and that should motivate us to be cautious and vigilant about our online activities. Next up, we cover a story from The Verge where a new lawsuit may force YouTube to own up to mental health consequences of content moderation. Not long after Facebook agreed to pay $52 million to content moderators for covering up mental health damages, YouTube is facing a similar lawsuit. Workers are seeking compensation for stress induced by the daily viewing and removing of countless videos from the platform. 
Although a lot of these occurrences are not necessarily common, some of the moderators have been coping with PTSD symptoms. One worker tasked with removing extremist content has become an insomniac and frequently experiences nightmares. Another reported significant hair loss, weight gain, and a shortened temper not long after spending time on the job. This lawsuit adds to the dilemma of the way that YouTube decides to proceed with content moderation. The platform has been trying to use algorithms to remove a lot of the harmful content, but the practice resulted in doubling the amount of videos that were removed, with over one half of these videos actually being republished as users made appeals on behalf of their deleted post. Platforms like YouTube and Facebook are again facing a decision between relying more on algorithm-based moderators, which will result in the unintentional suppression of harmless speech, or use human moderators, which may result in emotional and mental health issues for employees. Regardless of where one might stand on these issues, it's important to recognize the difficult decisions and the consequences behind content moderation policies. And Christians should pray for those who are attempting to moderate these online environments and be reminded of the brokenness that infects every part of our world. The last story this week comes from the BBC where Facebook shuts down over 150 fake Chinese accounts. Facebook has recently banned a network of 150 fake profiles with a cumulative following of 130,000 individuals. These accounts were found to be distributing Chinese propaganda and posts pertaining to the upcoming United States presidential election. An investigation into these accounts revealed that many of them were using a generative adversarial network, which is a tool that's powered by artificial intelligence to upload believable profile pictures into these accounts. These profiles began to surface in 2016, and most of them originated in China. The accounts frequently asserted their home country's supremacy over the disputed South China Sea and were more recently discussing candidates from the 2020 presidential election. Even as social media platforms continue to crack down on fake accounts, users should still practice discernment on these sites. With the knowledge that there are groups willing to spread misinformation to further their own agendas, Christians should be the first to love our neighbors by sharing and engaging with content that's true and praiseworthy. Well, from all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. And as a reminder, you can always check out the show notes for the stories we talk about here on Weekly Tech in your podcasting app. You can also get them directly in your inbox each week as part of the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can subscribe to at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you.